You're listening to the Stain and Seal Experts Podcast, where you'll get educated, get more money, grow your business, and kick the nine to five. Here is your host, an entrepreneur and mastermind behind the Stain and Seal Experts brand, Caleb Roth. My name is Caleb Roth. I'm the president of Stain and Seal Experts, and we are Nashville's number one staining contractor. Um, and founder also of Expert Professional Wood Care Products. We make the best and safest um, way to preserve and protect your exterior wood, guys. So thanks for watching. Thanks for tuning in. If you're right now, if you're someone who is looking to start or grow your wood staining and sealing business, you're at the right place. With us, by joining our community, you, you get access to the biggest community of experts in the industry. And Expert Stain and Seal is the number one stain brand for professional wood care contractors made for you um, by us. So check us out at expertwoodcare.com. All right, guys. Good morning. It is Saturday, August 27th, uh, 2022. Today's show is pre-recorded. It's actually not Saturday. Um, it is Wednesday. But got things going on. So um, I've got to go to grandma's house this weekend, so I'm not going to be able to do the show on Saturday. So it was important to me that my wife and kids know and spend lots of time with our family. So so we're headed out to see grandma's uh, grandma and grandpa this weekend, but the show must go on. So I have re pre-recorded this one, but I've got some good content for you. I had time to really think it out. And uh, so I've got some good stuff for you. So welcome to the show. And First, if you are if you're watching this on YouTube, chances are you are not subscribed to us yet. So please subscribe to us. Share this with your friends. If you're on Facebook, uh, be sure and put your name in the comments, um, where you're from, what your name is, and any questions you have. Uh, and I will get to those questions uh, even after the show. We will get to them. That is where we get the questions for each show each week. So be sure you drop them in the comments there. And uh, guys, give us some. Give us some shares and some loves. So wood talk section. Last week, we talked about poplar. This week, we're going to talk about uh, the, uh, the wood species of choice is pressure treated pine. Um, so southern pine, this ease of treatability, I'm going to go to my notes here, has made it the preferred species when pressure treated, uh, when pressure treatment with wood preservatives is required. Um, so it has wide grain, things penetrate in to it easily, and that makes pressure-treated a pine a good choice to be pressure-treated. The unique cellular structure of southern pine permits deep and uniform penetration of preservatives as well as oil-based stains and sealers. However, we do commonly see rotting at the ground line on fence post um, as well as warping. So raise your hand if you're a fence guy who has seen rotting treated pine particularly at the ground line. I know we have been there and done that. Um, but it also is prone to warp, twist, and crack, um, which, is, which is another common characteristic of wood that goes from wet to dry quickly. These characteristics make stain and sealing treated pine with a penetrating and conditioning stain and sealer incredibly important to longevity, uh, functionality, and aesthetics. There's nothing uglier than a crooked fence. Um, uh, that's warped and twisted and, and turned gray. So um, any structure built with treated pine, it's a good idea to do that. Pressure treated is commonly used lumber for all types of exterior construction projects. So you guys have probably seen it on fences, decks, pergolas, patio covers, boat docks. Um, you see it on covered porches, on the ceiling. You see it pretty much everywhere. So I think most people could identify uh, what treated pine looks like. 
Um, but for your viewing pleasure, I'm going to um, pull you up a picture of what that looks like. So some of you guys who are newer can um, can get an idea of what treated pine looks like. So treated pine has one characteristic that I see a lot um, that makes it very easy to identify. First, if it's first, it's yellow color when it's new before it is before it is built or I'm sorry, before it is stained, it's very yellow. But also there's a very unique um, with new growth treated pine. There's a very unique um, grain structure that you see over and over and then particularly with the knots. So let's go to a screen share and uh, here we go. And we're going to share Chrome tab right here we go. All right, guys, you can see what I'm looking at. I'm looking at this picture in the top left corner or top right corner. And the one thing that we see over and over again with my mouse are these little V's, these little chevrons. And what this is, this is knots where um, limbs were. Most new treated pine is fast growth lumber. Um, it comes from America and South America. And you see it here. You see a V here. We see half of one here. We see a little bit of a V here. Over here, we have this V pattern um, over and over and over and over. So even if, if treated pine is turned gray, you tend to be able to see it. Um, so let's see here. This is cedar. I don't know why that's listed here. But um, here is another treated pine picture. And you can see in some places you've got these diagonal um, knots that you get so commonly with treated pine. We'll look here again. Get some more. These are narrow boards, so you're not going to see it as much as you would on a six inch picket. And lastly, again, we've got some more of these diagonal knots coming through. Also, the yellow color and this green that you see is from the copper and the treatment process. So there is treated pine. That is what it looks like. So a little more about treated pine. In Nashville, our, our service business, Stain and Till Experts, is based in Nashville, and we, and we work in Nashville and Middle Tennessee. The majority of fencing and decking built here is treated pine. That's most of what we get in our market. And our goal here at Stain and Till Experts is to stain as much of the pine in our market as possible in order to save our customers the headache and frustration of warped, cracked, twisted, gray, and rotted fences or decks. My background as a fence installer um, was very painful when we got the calls two weeks, three weeks, four weeks after the fence was built that it is warped, it is twisted, my gate's not lining up, all of those things. Um, also, when you come by a year later and the, the whole fence is turned gray, not a good feeling. So uh, we do recommend um, getting after it. We found that treated pine usually warps, cracks, and twists during periods of rapid drying. So you can tell this to your customer. Rapid drying periods which can be the first 30 to 60 days after it's built. Or um, some people think, well, it's already 90 days old, so I've, it's probably not going to warp. Well, you can also get a lot of warping if you have major periods of rain. So you have a lot of rain coming through, and then it goes to uh, very hot, hot weather. You can get situations um, there where you have warping and twisting and then also the changing of seasons so we see a lot of warpage even on older fences that are unsealed um, going from that winter to springtime season in tennessee it's it's like frozen one day and then the next day it'll be um, 110 degrees it seems like and when we have conditions like that 
it is prime time for your fence or deck to warp, crack, or twist. So, um, what can we do about it? How can we how can we remedy these issues? You can do it by staining and sealing your treated pine as soon as the moisture content um, in the wood is at thirteen percent or less. Um, Grandpa used to always say, "You got to wait a year. You got to wait a whole season." Um, that's changed. Lumber treatment process is much different than it used to be. And um, now even the treaters recommend that you stain the wood within two or three days of construction. But anyways, for me, we like to wait till that moisture content's down to 13%. Usually on rough cut fencing, you can stain it um, within a week or two of construction and decking. I prefer about four weeks for decking to be dry. Now, some of you guys are probably arguing well, I would rather wait a year because the wood will absorb more stain. That is true. But it's a big but. One, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to clean it first. You know, if you wait a year, it's turned gray. It's looking bad. There could be mildew growing on it, um, dirt, debris, grass clippings, bird poop, squirrel scratches, you name it. You got to clean it. And it, a fence that is one year old and stained will never look as good as a fence that is stained while new. When you stain wood, when it's new, the wood grain, it pops. It looks, it looks unbelievable, almost like furniture. When you wait um, that year, you just get a much more dull look. It just doesn't look as slick uh, as, if you, as, if, as if you did it when it was brand new. And what do you use on it? We recommend Expert Stain and Seal. We developed that product specifically to stop warping, cracking, and twisting. Um, and I'll show you how we do it. So... Warping, cracking, and twisting obviously is is where the wood dries out, and it dries out quickly in most circumstances. So we de developed a stain that penetrates way down into the wood. And when you get this oil in here, this penetration is after seven days. After three or four weeks, it will fully penetrate into the wood. But what we're looking for with this, this stops the warping, cracking, and twisting. It's also a barrier for UV and, and water damage coming in but it also keeps things inside nice and conditioned and moist. So keep that in mind when you're talking with your customers. Um, there's no other stain on the market that does that. I mean, it's just plain and simple. So check that out. Remember, if you have any exterior wood, it's your duty and obligation to get it preserved with a good penetrating oil-based product, whether you're a contractor or a homeowner. You got to take care of this stuff. Remember, um, we're cutting enough trees every year on our planet to go to the moon and back six times. So um, the wood quality is not going to get better um, if we don't do something about it. So remember, the job is not done until it's finished. All right. So if you guys are watching and just now tuning in, I want to remind you to uh, to subscribe to us. You know, hit the bell for notifications. And um, Remember, we're on Spotify, too. We're not getting too many listens on Spotify. So if you are on Spotify, we are there now. So be sure and check us out there. And if you're listening on iTunes or something like that, this is also a live stream on YouTube and on Facebook and on LinkedIn. So you can so you can see these things um, and all the visuals that we're putting up here um, right on the screen. So so check that out. So I'm doing a new section of the show this week. It's called Expert Staining Tips. And if there's any other things you guys want to see us cover in the show every week, please drop it in the comments. Do it right now. Uh, what would you like to see covered in the show? Different sections, uh, different things like that. So we're doing Wood Talk, and next is Expert Staining Tips. My first tip, naturally, is about 
using the right tip. So I really like the new Graco FF, um, I believe it's FFLP uh, blue. It's the low pressure tips. You guys have seen them. And um, we are not sponsored by Graco, just so you know. Just so happens that these tips really work good for us. So what do they do? They the newer the, the new blue tips when combined with a new commercial grade machine. I'm not positive about the Home Depot and Lowe's machines. I do know that the commercial grade machines, starting with the 390, 395, have a, a different type of pressure regulation system on there. So when these these blue tips, when used in conjunction with one of these commercial grade sprayers, really, really reduce overspray. You know, it's not even it's night and day from when I started in the business. When I when I first started, we would spray things and it would wind up in the next county. Um, now you can be very, very controlling with your overspray. And so um, I really like those tips. And I think, it, in my opinion, they are the best thing going right now. And a lot of people do that use low pressure um, who have a lot of overspray issues, but they're concerned that, well, if I go from low pressure to a, to an airless, I'm afraid my production will drop. Um, not the case. And the best tip for high production for privacy fence, board on board fence and shadow box fence, in my opinion, is a 1223 tip. So check out the 1223s. Um, we may bring some into the stain and seal expert store, um, but otherwise you can get them on the internet. I know they're getting hard to find, but 1221, 1223, really good tip uh, for privacy fence. And it will put on about three times as much. Uh, it, you can go about three times as fast um, with a 1223 as you can with like a 12 or like a 515 or 517. So take that for what it's worth. Now, the tip number two is mask under gate. So if you guys are new to, to staining and sealing, uh, maybe you're a fence contractor, maybe um Maybe you're a handyman and you're just thinking about staining fences. If you stain fences, I want you to mask under the gates. As a professional wood care contractor, it's your duty and obligation to give a good customer experience. So there's nothing worse than when Miss Jones walks through the backyard. Where does she have to walk through? She's got to go through the gate to get to the backyard, right? Um, so if you did not mask under the gate, when you spray a gate, you have to open the gate and spray it you have to close the gate and spray it you have to open it halfway to get in between the cracks and spray it and what you end up with is three or four places of major overspray underneath the bottom of the gate which typically is sometimes on unlevel ground it is also sometimes on wet muddy ground and um you know you guys work in these backyards every day you know what it looks like it's always a drainage ditch in these newer neighborhoods things going on and if there's stain on the ground it's going to be slippery it's going to be discolored it's going to look bad and right when miss jones walks through the backyard the first thing she's going to know about your job is that underneath the gate there's stain everywhere it's muddy it's nasty the i don't know about this she's immediately going to get that feeling uh, whether she verbalizes it or not so cardboard drop cloths plastic anything that you can put under the gate while you're staining will keep the grass or concrete looking great. So very important. Nothing worse than a bad customer experience. So especially when you can avoid it with a 10 cent piece of cardboard uh, or a, a free piece of cardboard. So mask under those gates. If you mask nothing else, mask under the gates while you're spraying. So 
I'm going to go right into our story. So you guys noticed the, the backdrop today um, is working with my wife. And this isn't working with my wife. This is working with your wife. This is everyone here who's watching is working with their spouse. And I wanted to talk about that. I, the, probably the best person that I can help is the person is me, the person who, you know, and someone who is, is where I was before. And so I wanted to write this. It's not very well uh, written because I did write this down and I'm going to, and I'm going to read it because I wanted to cover all uh, bases, but early on, I think I made some pretty big mistakes um, in my business. And if I had done things differently, I could have grown faster. And a lot of it had to do with pride. Hey, Mandy, can you call uh, John Todd? Uh, Todd, John, just tell him I'm on a show right now. Sorry about that, guys. Customer calls. Got to get after it. So, um, and Mandy, I'll be there. I'll be there around noon. Growing up, or I'm sorry, working with your spouse. For me, it was my wife. Many of you know my wife who works in our business um, sort of full-time, part-time. You know, she's in the office about half the time, but she does put in a lot of hours. So me, I grew up working in my family's fence business. I helped my dad uh, and the crews build fence, run estimates. And I remember my mom always answering phone calls, doing customer service, um, and doing never-ending bookkeeping, things like that. So I grew up in the business um, was very familiar with it, very comfortable with it. And to me, um, working for yourself or you're in a family business was normal. I know some of you, it's not normal, but for me, it was very normal. And, and I also kind of had this chip on my shoulder that we were special because we ran a business. We did not work somewhere else. We ran a business. So maybe I had some sort of insight that most people didn't have. Looking back, I feel like I may have may have felt that way a little bit. After I turned 18, I went to work full time in the family business. Um, and after about 10 years of full time work in the fence business, my my responsibilities were um, lead generation, all sales, um, all project management and um, all starting and finding, keeping crews, ordering materials. Um, all, all of those things. So basically most as aspects of the business, I did not usually answer the phones and I did not usually do bookkeeping, but I did collect, uh, do a lot of collections. So, um, after 10 years in the business, I decided I wanted to start staining fences and decks. Actually, I feel like God told me one day that you are going to start staining fences and decks. And, um, I thought that was crazy, but I listened and, so as I started that business, I did everything on my own, but it wasn't too much different from what I was used to in the fence business. So it didn't seem like really a big deal to me. I was practiced. I had the reps and I had 10 years of, of this type of work, but different um, under my belt. And so at that time, my wife had her own job and she was hands off with the business. And I felt like as a man, it was my job to not bother her with what the man of the house should be able to handle. So, so I kept everything to myself, ran the business and eventually a business began to grow. Um, and I brought on some additional labor to help. And it was, it was very much just, just labor. Um, 
to help, you know, with the business and um, the growing de- to help with the growing demand. Right. You guys have been there and I would answer all the phone calls when I could throughout the day. If I missed a call, I would call it back. I would get in the truck. And I spent most of my time actually completing jobs on the job site, prospecting. So anytime I saw a fence or a deck, I would stop and knock on their door. I would talk to contractors. Really good. One of my specialties in life probably is prospecting. Um, I would create marketing videos on the job sites because that was how I could afford to advertise. And I would post those videos throughout the day and in the evenings. After my kids went to bed, I spent most nights responding to and sending emails scheduling jobs, explaining weather delays, dealing doing other customer service issues, was selling jobs, ordering materials, doing the accounts payable, the accounts receivable, customer service, um, doing warranty things, you know, phone calls, follow-ups and things like that, doing it all myself. And somewhere along the way, I was obviously becoming overwhelmed, overworked or both. I remember so I remember, I remember working so many Saturdays um, that I didn't know what a weekend was. And I believe in 2015, I worked every weekend except for t- maybe two for a whole year. And um, I worked a lot of late nights. You know, when 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 I was a kid, when we built a fence, we came home when the job was done. And so that was 10, 11 o'clock at night, sometimes many nights. And that was what I knew. So for me, if um, if it was four o'clock. And I finished a job. Well, I'm going to do another job because I've got till eight or nine o'clock before it gets dark. And then, you know, an hour and a half drive home, no big deal. And I did that, did that a lot. And that was, that was just the way I was raised. Looking back, it was, it was good work ethic, but it was also, I was being selfish to my family, right? I was still in time for my kids. So I worked so many late nights and so many weekends. I really didn't know my wife or kids didn't, didn't have the relationship with them that I wanted, but I felt like I was doing what was right. I felt like this is what a man does. This is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and if I do less then it shows a weakness, um, or a lack of work ethic, ethic or a lack of, um, willpower or something like that. You know, I don't really know, but that was just what I was trained to do. So, um, I don't remember ever asking my wife for help. I, I Maybe I did. I probably did. But I don't just remember that there was a time where I just sat down and said, I've got to have help um, because I, I never, never was good at showing emotion. And so um, I just really thought my wife was uninterested. And besides, you know, a man should be able to take care of his own work. Right. That's the way I felt. So somewhere along the way, my wife just decided that she had had enough and she was going to help with our business. And I remember being surprised that she wanted to help for one. And two, I remember the relief I felt when she just started getting stuff done. She just started knocking out tasks and um, it felt so good to finally get some traction. Um, After my super smart wife started working in our business, we finally started getting traction and real sustained growth. And I was able to focus on my jobs during the day and focus on the things that I was good at, um, which was prospecting, selling, and uh, completing jobs, getting jobs done. Very good at those things and building relationships with people who would, again, further send us work in the future. So prospecting. And I know that without a shadow of a doubt that our business would not be where it is today if she did not insert herself in a positive way, the way she did into her business. Two, if she did not bring the organization skills that I was lacking, I am very unorganized. Um, 
and three, helped spread the load of the work to be done. And four, she really helped del me delegate tasks and scale our business to where it is today. And, and she's and, and, uh, really been, wow, you know, couldn't have done it without, without my wife. And so the reason I tell this story is because I feel like one of the details I left out of this is, um, I never thought that my wife was incapable. I never thought that she was um, not smart. I never thought that she was, um, it wasn't her thing. I guess I had just felt, I just felt like she wasn't interested in, and I'm not, it would be rude to ask my wife to help, you know? So I want to just, get some of you guys that are watching this um, who are overwhelmed, who are right where I have been, who don't know what to do, who's doing all the work. You may be surprised to find that your wife will help you, is interested in helping you. You may be, uh, you may be surprised to find that she's a lot better than you at, at many things. And so I think it would be wise uh, for you, one, to share this video with your wife or your spouse and, um, but most importantly, I think it would be good to ask their opinion about what they're doing. I think so many guys hold all of this in and feel like they got it all under control when, um, but you're not fooling yourself, right? You know, most everything I did, I had no clue. I would just go do it and figure it out along the way. And I think many guys are like that. And so getting some help from someone that you're can be vulnerable with, like your wife, I think is a great start to scaling your business and it will help you. Um, so a few things that I recommend for wife, husband and wife teams, and some of these are going to be a little redundant, um, but I'm going to go over them anyways. Number one, you must be each other's cheerleader no matter what. So even if you're not helping in the business, if you're not a cheerleader for your spouse who's out doing their own business, it's not going to work for them. If you want your children to be fed, you've got to be a cheerleader for your husband, for your wife, for your spouse who's out um, doing the thing in the small business. Two, you must not have pride. If you if you need help, you must ask for it. Even if you don't think you need help, just ask for help anyway. Say, hey, look at what I'm doing. What could you do? What could I do better? Ask. Ask for help. Number three, be honest. If you if if your spouse asks you for help and you are just really not the the right fit for this. Um, if you're not the doer that your spouse needs, um, help them find one. Maybe you have some friends. Maybe you know somebody that can help. Number four, um, I hear this one a lot, and this one just drives me insane. A spouse that refers to their 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 significant other's business as their little bit, excuse me, as their little business, as their um, as their thing that they do. Their it's just their little business. That hurts when you say that to someone, um, specifically uh, a spouse. So my wife never, ever, ever said that, and it would have it would have probably ripped my spine out if she did. But I hear it all the time from other people. Never refer to your uh, spouse's business as a little business. Number five, treat it like a business because it is one. That means hold the lines, hold the line on things that together you feel is right. Um, so those are, those are important things. I'm going to hold the sixth one because I got the last one and I'm going to wait on that. 
working together as a husband and wife team will later help you to work with other people as your business grows. Um, so I think that's important. And if you work together properly in a business, I think it can make your relationship much, much stronger and teach you how to communicate better than you normally would be able to if you didn't. And the sixth thing that I recommend for husband and wife teams is a guy named uh, Mike Ash from Tennessee told me and her this when we were very young. He said, if you're going to make a relationship work, you've got to pull on the same end of the rope. So let that sink in. Pull on the same end of the rope. Life's much better when you do. So hopefully my, my story helped someone to say, you know what, I'm tired of being alone. I'm going to get this thing done. I'm going to bring in my wife who probably has a job, who probably does not make as much money as she could make in your business with the skills that she has. So I recommend you try it. Upcoming events. Um, we do have the Washmart event September 13th and 14th in Dallas. I'm going to drop a link for that. Um, that one is coming very soon. And um, we're going to stain fences. We're going to do decks. We're going to do all kinds of things. And I recommend that you guys show up to that one. Let's see here. We're going to drop a banner. Right there is the link if you can copy that. But we will put it in the show notes. And um, so, so please check out that event. And um, let's go to the next, the next event. We got Staining University in Springfield, Missouri, which is um, Ozark Fence. Joe Everest, the fence expert. November 10th and 11th, and then again, Staining University in Nashville, the main event. We got that one going on in uh, February 16th and 17th, just a little earlier than we normally do it. That's the biggest wood care uh, event in the world. Um, there's one on another planet, but we're actually bigger than that one too. So be sure and show up to that. All the big names will be there. And again, we do big projects, uh, get some real hands-on experience, great speakers. It will change your life. Uh, personally and professionally. We do have uh, Southern California and Wilmington, North Carolina coming up for, for events. So check those, uh, check back often because we will get those posted up as soon as we get those dates settled on. Next is our Q&A section. So I've got some questions that we take from the show and I'm going to drop them right here. First of all, you notice on the bottom of the page, it says joining Staining University group on Facebook. It is the number one professional wood care community. If you're a contractor thinking about being a stain contractor or do wood care, fences, decks, washing, whatever, um, join this group. You can just search Staining University on Facebook and uh, we'll let you in. It's a place for professionals. There's no knuckleheads allowed, but you, um, you will have access to probably a million years of combined knowledge on staining, sealing, and all things wood care. And with all brands, all products, everything you can think of, there's people there that use them and have good experience with it. So I got a question here. Um, how do you build relationships with fence and deck builders? And I'm going to pause so you guys can think about this. How do you build relationship with anybody that you want to have a relationship with? You got to get in touch with them. So if you're, if you're a new wood care contractor, you need to go and make friends with those who have similar customers as you, right? So anybody who builds a new wooden fence for someone, their customers 
are your customers. Anybody who builds decks out of wood, their customers also would be your customers. So if you made friends with these people, and it could be as simple as a phone call and says, hey, my name is John. I build, you know, I stain decks. You build decks, man. I just think we should be friends. Can I send you over some business cards or some brochures? Um, most of the time, it's they, they receive you very warmly. And you can stay in touch with them with text message, uh, with a phone call, maybe once a month, things like that. And they're going to remember you because if you build decks, you know, everyone says, hey, you built my deck. It's beautiful. Do you stain them? Should I seal it? How long do I wait? They got all these questions. Let them refer those over to you. Question number two, how do you find your cost of goods sold? This one is, um, we get this one a lot. And it's, it's a very simple process. If you were an alien spaceship and you were hovering over your job as it was being done, you're over top, 30,000 feet up, looking down on this fence staining project. And you see the van driving down the road. The van pulls up into the driveway. Two guys get out or one guy gets out. Maybe it's just you. Unloads all the materials you know, fires up the generator, starts staining the fence, uses plastic, um, uses a paintbrush, uses a spray suit, throws away the mask and gloves when he's done, um, gets back, you know, uses stain, obviously, get loads up, gets back in the truck and drives home. Everything there was part of the cost of goods sold. The labor, and it doesn't matter if you did the labor or not, you are part of the labor. So, what did the labor cost if you had to pay someone to do it? A fair price. What's the materials cost? All materials. So you could you could separate materials and sundries, um, which materials would be something that went into the job. And a sundry would usually be something that you used to produce the job that maybe got thrown away. So that could be uh, masking material, um, paintbrush, um, something like that. And then your fuel to get to the job mileage, you, you'd like, you need to include mileage in that, in my opinion. And if you add all of those things up, that is your cost of goods sold. Now there's a couple of things you can do to, to do a margin because Tom Reber at the contractor fight recommends working on a 50% gross profit margin, at least minimum. Um, and the gross profit covers all of the things like rent, taxes, insurance, upgrading equipment, repairs, office staff, payroll, things like that, and the net profit. But there is a there is a margin calculator that I will um, bring on the screen here and show you. Um, the link is easy to find if you just if you just go to uh, Google and search gross profit margin or margin calculator, you will see this and. Um, so I'm going to share this window. All right, here we go. So here is your margin calculator. Margin's different. So let's just say it costs you $1,000 to produce a job and you want a 50% margin. You just multiply it times two for 50%. 50% is easy. There's your revenue, 2,000. Your profit, your, your gross profit would be 1,000. Now let's say you wanted to try to bump up and get a 63% margin, the change. 13% made a huge increase in profit. It, a 13% increase in gross profit uh, or in margin made almost 
what a, a 70 170 percent uh on the gross profit so a 70 percent increase just by 13 percent more margin so a margin is a very powerful tool um and i recommend you guys learn how to use it but let's go back to 50. let's say the average debt cost you um $150 in labor and $200 in materials. So $350 and you're there um, at a 50% margin. $700 would be the cost to do that job. Let's let's talk again about that 63% gross profit margin. Would be um, $945 would be what you charged and gross profit would be $595. Now the biggest companies in the world like Netflix, Verizon, um, and lots of big service businesses are working on an 80% gross profit margin many times and up to a 99% gross profit margin. So I want you to think about when Netflix uh, puts you on for um, $19.99 a month. And um, let's say that their cost to do that is 0.001 cents and their revenue is... Um, 19.99 that is a 99.99995 percent gross profit margin and that's how companies like that are able to grow so fast it costs almost nothing to onboard someone um, onto uh, to a, a platform like netflix even if it costs two cents still 99.9 percent .9 gross profit margin and so that doesn't sound like much but when you um when you multiply that number times a couple million, you understand that the, those companies can grow super fast. Tell you another story. I had a light switch put in at my house by Hiller Plumbing in Nashville. It's about a couple hundred million dollar heating and cooling and electrical company. They came in. Um, I'm going to say that they had seventy seven dollars in labor plus a plus a um, one three-way light switch that costs 15 bucks. So let's just say they had $100 in um, cost. They charged me $1,250 do that. The guy come in and did it in less than an hour. I was selling a house and had to do this quick, um, so I didn't do it myself. I paid $1,250 for it. They showed up. They did a great job. They charged me roughly a 92% gross profit margin. Um, so... Let's translate that to a deck staining company that grows super fast. So if you had a $350 cost of goods sold to make the same kind of money that someone like one of these huge companies makes, huge service businesses, they would be charging $4,300 um, on something that cost them $350 to produce giving them a gross profit of $4,025. Now you know how these companies start up and then in two years, they have 60 trucks. Then in five years, they have 600 trucks in 18 locations across your state uh, or across the whole you know region. This is how they do it. Gross profit margin is the answer there. So study that and think about it for a minute. So um, if you did um, $1,000, in cost and you had a 50% gross profit margin and let's say you did that 10 times um, let's say you did that 100 times that would be $100,000 in cost at a 50% margin you would have a gross profit of um, 
$100,000. Okay. Now let's say you bumped your margins up to 63%, which is very common in the staining business. Let's say you bump them to 63%. All right. But let's, let's say your cost goes down to 90,000 because you didn't sell you, you, you took a 10% cut in, uh, or let's just go down to 80. Let's say you sold 20% less, but you went to a 63% gross profit margin. So instead of 100 jobs, you only got to do 80. You still made 36% more um, gross profit. So um, if your cost, and also your cost went down, your operational cost went down, and your profit went up from 100 to 136. Um, if you bump it to 65, watch what happens. 148. That was that was uh, 12,000 more dollars in profit, and that's pure net profit at the end of the day because our cost is the same, uh, just because of two percent of gross margin. So I want you guys to get real comfortable looking at these gross profit calculators and start to understand that to scale your business, um, it's all about the margin, and you can study. Um, people on the internet like Alex Hormozy, you can study Tom Reaver, and they're going to start talking about margins and how it's important to raise your margins so that you can grow your business. Stop stealing from your family and uh, raise your margins so you can grow. So very important. All right, let's stop that screen share, get back into the show. Guys, I want you to check out expertwoodcare.com. And if you want to shop stains, you can go to realgoodstain.com. Um, follow us on all channels, right? So we're on everything. You can find us with our service company at Stain and Seal Experts on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, um, Pinterest, you name it, Twitter, um, or all those same places. You can find us at expertwoodcare.com. Join Staining University to be a part of the biggest professional wood care community on earth, guys. Remember, don't forget to join that. It's a free group. And again, if you're looking to start or grow your wood staining and sealing business, you're at the right place. If you need service in Nashville, if you're looking for a professional company to come out, take care of your wood care needs, whatever it is. If you're in Nashville for residential, if you are nationwide, for large, interesting projects that your average contractor can't handle. We do take those and we do handle them very well. Um, we're very good at them, actually. Um, the big jobs for staining and sealing, um, give us a call. Go to stainandsealexperts.com and, uh, and find us there, guys. I appreciate you watching the show, and um, I can't wait to see you next week when we get back. Make sure and drop your questions comments and uh we'll see you on the stain and seal show next hey week. guys thanks. thanks for listening to the podcast we love sharing our information that we've learned over the years here at stain and seal experts um being a, a stain and seal contractor we've got to have products we can count on and that's why we only use expert professional wood care products uh expert stain and seal and expert cleaners and brighteners really make our job easy it's something we can depend on um, the number one reason for callbacks in wood fencing nowadays is because of warping, twisting, and cracking, and this oil-based formula stops that. And besides that, it's so easy to apply. Any of our guys can do it, and uh, it's just been really a great thing for our company. So check it out. You can get it at the Stain and Seal Experts store. 
StandStillExperts.com, and there's tons of dealers all over the U.S. and Canada that carry it. Uh, maybe you should talk to your fence supply house, your paint supplier, or power wash store about expert stainless steel. Thank you, Thank you for listening to the Stainless Steel Experts podcast. Subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and check out Stainless Steel Experts on your favorite social media.